welcome to the Empowering Agency Workers, a podcast for all temporary workers. If you're unsure of your rights, unsure how to find work, or just plain unsure, we're here to help. It's all too easy to be exploited, so your expert host, Julia Kermode, will empower you to succeed. Hi, welcome to today's podcast episode. I'm really pleased to be continuing my chat with Emma from Radical Recruit. And we're talking about important issues around diversity and inclusion, particularly around how disadvantaged people can find meaningful work. So let's rejoin the conversation. One thing I wanted to ask, and I don't know, again, whether this is a silly question, so tell me, but has the outlook for your radicals improved as the pandemic has, has gone on or has has it got worse for them? Um, it, I'm just wondering whether shortages are making employers more receptive to different types of people. Yeah, I mean, there's two answers to that question. They're completely um, the opposite. So yeah speaking radical people have been disproportionately and adversely impacted by the pandemic so those who were already vulnerable are even more so yeah yeah Um, in terms of those who are able to access support and many of them cannot because the support is simply not available yeah um but the ones that can access this support and particularly those who we um help to sort of walk with purpose into their futures at radical the outlook is far brighter and the prospects are, are, are far more are positive simply because, again, organisations are laying this bullshit flippant approach to DNI to rest and they're actually taking action, which is commendable mm. and, and kudos to anyone who's leading on the world stage in that respect. Um, I think employers are having to think about how um, people's skills and experience map to transfer over into roles and disciplines that they haven't previously done. Mm. And I think employers are looking um, more closely at um, soft skills and attributes that enable people to learn and retrain. Um, I think there's also less fear um, amongst the the hiring population to, to make what, what is still perceived as a risky hire generally yeah is a little bit less risky like you know give you an example we've got this this guy on our books and when i met him i mean he came for his onboarding registration meeting and he was he looked dapper he's a nice looking guy mm-hmm. in his mid-30s um but he's suited and booted for this registration meeting and a proper gent like a bit of a bit of a lad you know you yeah can, he's got he's he's sassy or whatever the yeah the male equivalent of sassy is but um you know open door proper gentleman very very old school sort of chivalrous which I quite liked mm. um we sat opposite each other and I said well, what, what do you want to do it's always my first question when I register a new candidate what do you want to do and um his response was anything I was like well fuck anything what do you want to do <laughs> yeah yeah because why would you go and do anything when you could do what you wanted to do? Yeah. Anyway, he looked at me absolutely puzzled. Like, and I said, okay, well, why are you radical? Like, why are you here? Why do you need help? And um, he explained that he had a criminal conviction. And I said, oh, talk to me about that. What did you get caught for? And he said, I was selling weed. I said, okay. 
how long did you how long was your last custodian you said three years which meant he got six and served three right yeah so it must have been a lot of weed then mm. and he said yeah I was training about 100k a month wow I said can I just just think about this from from let's flip this for a minute because this is how I'm seeing you and how I want you to see yourself imagine that that business was legitimate imagine it was legal to sell yeah. marijuana yeah and think of yourself as a business owner, founder and owner. Yeah. What skills and experience do you have that employers might want? And he looked at me puzzled, like, what the hell are you talking about? And so I sort of went through things. I said, so, did, you know, it was a hydroponic lab. So he set up the lab. He taught himself about hydroponics, yeah. number one. And he founded a hydroponic grow, grow lab with no education behind yeah. it at all. Then he recruited, he, he grew product and, yeah. and quality assured product, really good stuff, ensuring repeat custom. Yeah. And then he recruited a team of people who he trained to sell and and coordinated the logistics uh, um, of. Yeah. He uh, marketed his services using guerrilla guerrilla marketing tactics because back then, you know whatsapp the last weren't a thing you couldn't message a whole phone book and say <laughs> yeah. my product sell it you know so he was he employed marketing guerrilla tactics yeah. to sell his product and by the time he'd done it for five years turn over 100k a month which is 1.2 million that's business. incredible isn't it yeah he had he understood he understood supply and demand yeah he understood right. customer service he was a negotiator he was he could resolve conflict he was a people manager. He was a logistics coordinator. He was an accountant. Mm. He was a bookkeeper. You know, all of these skills yeah. that every business, no matter what the nature of, requires, he could do. That's yeah. what he's bringing to the table. Anyway, fast forward a year, I'm still trying to get him to put this on his CV and and um, apply for jobs that, that aligns sort of with his skill yeah. set. Finally, I convince him. He starts getting interviews for jobs that are worth 45, 50K. Brilliant. Now, employers are seeing those skills. Yeah. Legitimate, whether they were gained in a legitimate sort of work environment or not, it doesn't really matter. You've got the skills, got the skills. Yeah, yeah. Um, he wants to apply those skills and, and do something legal so he can provide for his children. Yeah. Those days are over. The intelligent employers are acknowledging that de-risking their processes mm -hmm. and investing in people like my radical yeah because they know the value of work yeah you know yeah. and they work bloody hard to keep their jobs because they haven't had these opportunities before yeah that's true so yeah i think the landscape is changing i think there's a lot of work to be done i think recruiters aren't very good at talking um about how skills transfer from one to the other and things like that but neither are candidates so yeah no. I'm, it's there's a surprise that recruiters aren't sort of all employees aren't looking at these pools of talent thinking oh yeah there's, there's potential there yeah yeah oh, and, story sorry no no <laughs> no it was it's brilliant I was I was hooked um completely but from the employer's point of view um do they have to do a bit of getting themselves ready um for 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 giving a, a radical um a job offer in terms of I'm just thinking about the work their colleagues and things like that do they have to kind of manage expectations and uh, you know do, like that every, kind of working every, culture every every different every business is different i think and mm. they all need to, to get it right um 
I mean, when it comes to people with a conviction, most organisations don't um, do a disclosure and barring check, service check, DBS check. No, I mean, you have to have a legal basis to do it. Oh, okay, right. So someone can walk into a read office and pitch themselves to a recruiter for a job Mm. that isn't... um, isn't subject to a DBS because mm-hmm. there's no legal basis for it. Yeah. And they could be, um, you know, a wife beating yeah. drug lord who's running a modern day slavery ring. Yeah. In their, in their and the recruiter wouldn't know mm-hmm. and the employer wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. And we take those people on face value, right? Yeah. Organisations who decide they want to engage with the ex-offender community do so with the right intentions, I think. Yeah. And therefore de-risk their processes. And when okay. I say de-risk their processes, I mean they ask a question. What is your conviction? Do you have an unfeigned conviction? Mm-hmm. And then what that enables them to do is make informed decisions about whether or not that person is a risky hire or not. And what system structures, support, supervision, the list goes on, mm-hmm. is needed to ensure that person remains in the business and is supported to succeed. And you can, you, sh- you can apply that same thinking and that same approach to any person with any support requirement or background yeah. or history or whatever that might impact them from showing up. Yeah. I'm not talking about just ex-offenders. I'm talking about single mums. Yeah. I'm talking yeah. about people with disabilities. I'm talking about, all, I mean, all sorts of sort of, um, you know, people who underrepresent the labour market. If employers mm. took that same approach and de-risked their processes yeah. and supported people to start well and and flourish in their jobs, then, you know, this that we wouldn't have a skill shortage. Yeah. There would be no you know, no no challenge in terms of finding um, people for the jobs that, that everyone's sort of scrambling to fill at the moment. Um, from a cultural perspective, I mean I think, you know, there's this big thing around unconscious bias. It's like, okay, that's yeah. great. Mm. We all do unconscious bias training. It's a bit of a tick box exercise as far as I'm concerned. Mm. But our, our line at Radical is like, okay, so you've identified your unconscious bias and what? Hmm. Is it enough to do that once a year? Or do you actually, should, should we be expecting and should we be aiming for organisations to um, be consciously unbiased, to yeah. be anti-biased yeah. in the same way that you say, we're anti-racist yeah. and we're anti-homophobic yeah. and we're anti-blah, blah, blah. It's like there's a difference between saying and doing. Yes, yeah. Um, and culturally, I think the best organisations are anti-biased. Yeah, yeah. You know, anti-discrimination. So It's almost like there's a scale of, and I'm going to use the word prejudice. It might not be the right word, but that's the word I'm going to use. It's almost a scale. So like we know, we know that racism um, and and that type of prejudice is wrong, but somehow it doesn't feel as wrong perhaps to some people from an employment perspective to kind of have prejudice or prejudgments um, against people with convictions or, or whatever. And, and, and just thinking when you were talking then, there does seem to be a scale and there shouldn't be because what, what you just said was we should be anti, anti-bias anti full full stop throughout the whole year, not just when you're on a, on, on a away day having having kind of yeah, a session on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I guess the difference is, um, has to do with the law and what, what groups the law yeah. protects. So 
um, you know, there are people with protected characteristics um, and it is illegal to discriminate against those people in theory um, in any any sort of aspect in in work or or life. Um, Unfortunately, homeless people, unfortunately, domestic violence survivors, care leavers, ex-offenders, modern-day slaves, they don't have any protections under the law. No. So there is no regulation of how they are treated in the workplace Mm. and they have no recourse, legal recourse, really, when they're discriminated against. Um, and that, that for me is a difference and that for me is, is why, and this is government allowing organisations, big business, communities, individuals to um, discriminate against, to assault, to, I mean, add adjective here, um, people who, who don't have protective characteristics. Um, you know, it's, yeah. you look at like, um, you know, there's a whole load of discourse around violence against women but male violence against women is not classified as a hate crime oh okay so it's really nuanced all of this stuff is really nuanced um and it it all it all comes it's it's all born out of the same same issue as far as i'm concerned some people are more valuable valuable and valued than others and that's that's just fundamentally wrong isn't it and I think we kind of uh, are in a bit of a broken system then I mean I I know we uh, we probably can't sort of change that but 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 then we can actually I'm just arguing with myself here sorry but we can because otherwise if we do, if we just sit back and think oh well we can't make any difference well then nothing will ever happen so we've got to all open our eyes to what's going on and and you know make sure that we're we're not biased against people and and people are people you know whether whatever their background whether they're disadvantaged or or homeless or kind of whatever other characteristic makes them a radical they're, they're still people they're still entitled to to the same opportunities as anyone else yeah you would hope so I mean I think just to your point around the system is broken I don't think the system's broken I think it's okay. been designed in this way oh okay um, it's been designed by by people who don't um suffer the same barriers who aren't excluded yeah. Um, and it's designed to ensure that they stay at the top um, and they continue to hold their position of power. Um, <laughs> because if we were all equals, then everyone from every different group um, with all sorts of different characteristics would be represented across all different areas yeah. of life. Um, and that includes the, the building of systems. Yeah, mm. yeah, sadly. Mm. I mean, you've only got to look at our government and who holds hold seats in that to understand um, who designs the systems yeah. and why those seats are constantly um, taken by the same white male asses, if yeah. I can be so crude, um, from Red Brick Universities who tend to be left, um, right, sort of leaning, yeah. really conservative. So without getting too political, um, <laughs> yeah, the system is definitely being designed this way. It's not broken. And I, t- I completely agree, you know, the right to live, a good life the right to work the right to feel like you belong the right to be valued respected the right to dignity all of these things are, are, are what everyone deserves yeah. to have um and by virtue of them being human 
Yeah. Um, but sadly, not everyone enjoys those those rights, and they aren't rights; they're luxuries, and it's privilege. It's it's an absolute privilege to have all of that. Yeah, yeah. I've got it. Yeah, and what what you said then about dignity just struck a chord because I did um, a podcast chat recently with um, an organisation called SmartWorks, and you might you might know of them. Um, they 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 kind of help people from disadvantaged backgrounds who have nothing to wear for job interviews, and so they yeah. they they kind of help. Um, uh, help them kind of dress and and coach them and they, they were saying they had someone who had escaped a domestic violence situation and so she had literally nothing apart from the clothes on her back um and and they kind of um were really supportive to um her through all of that and it that's where it kind of dignity i mean we all take it for granted don't we that 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 kind of those of us who who have a more privileged life we never have to think about this stuff but i i just my mind was blown by 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 that one example that they gave um and yeah we we need to just stop and think don't we yeah i mean i think um you know well this this story we hear here on repeat and it's you know week week by week we we're helping people in similar situations mm. um and i think i mean the way i like to see it is you know if you you I, i've got loads of privilege i was born into a really safe home parents that loved me i had an education i would had nutritionally valuable food on the table clean clothes on my back that yeah. they were never hand-me-downs you know i was told in all you know i don't even remember being told this but i always knew that i belonged yeah. i always knew i was loved i was like, oh. so these are all like assets that that you know if you, you imagine everyone's born with a backpack on their visible backpack on their back yeah. and some people have all of these assets like the ones that i've just described yeah, yeah. and every day cashing on those assets you know knowing loved means i feel like i'm um i believe in myself Mm-hmm. And because I believe in myself, I have the courage to apply for the job. And because I've had the courage to apply for the job, I'm likely to get the interview. And if I get yeah. the interview, I've got people who love me who are going to help me prep. Yeah. And yeah. if I get the job and I need money to get to the job for the first month in between pays, I've got someone who's going to lend me 50 quid yeah. to do yeah. that. And then if I have a problem at work or I need some help, you know, problem solving something or getting over a hurdle, I've got someone I can talk to about that because they've, they've been there, they've mm-hmm. done that these are assets yeah. and they're born out of privilege so if you think you know everyone's got this this um you know imaginary backpack on their back some people's are bigger than others mm-hmm. and some people's assets replenish yeah. without them even noticing and we're all cashing in on the assets we have we've got different levels of assets the people with the, the most privilege are the ones with all the assets yeah and they have a choice to use their assets to advantage others or just use them to advantage themselves. And going back to that piece around, okay, well, you know, it's a huge problem. How can we tackle this? If everyone, I mean, even people like Chanel, you would think has no assets in her backpack. Even she has given something from her her backpack to other people. Mm. Yeah, yeah. her, Her tiny amount of privilege to help me get this business she was a person who said you have to do it am i believing you? wow and then two years later here we are you know so if we each took just something out of our backpack to give to another person the world would be a f- so much better place yeah. and this 
these people that we call disadvantaged would be less disadvantaged because taking away the barriers that prevent them from from you know getting their own assets and replenishing their own stocks so for me i think like everyone everyone has a a responsibility some people choose to acknowledge that they don't um everyone's got something to give yeah you know yeah and it doesn't have to be money it doesn't have to be education doesn't have to be you know a home it can just be like you know a friendship yeah. where there's a, a mutual respect and dignity and or someone at the end of the phone saying i believe in you go and do it you can um or reminding reminding you that you're worthwhile and you're loved or whatever yeah. it is yeah yeah it could be time it could be kindness it could be all sorts of things yeah. couldn't it? Um, yeah and corporates have so many assets yeah yeah you know i mean the 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 business community is the most powerful entity to really elicit any change yeah um you know they've got they've got money they've got time they've got infrastructure they've got you know brands they can brands i don't know why i said brands and i meant brands in australia <laughs> brands that they can leverage mm. you know they've got political sway they could be they could be making a change they're, they're choosing not to sadly yeah often I, I i kind of think we've all got a moral duty to to kind of give back in in some way to to the world but anyway we we've kind of run out of time i can't believe it i've absolutely loved talking to you um when when um when this podcast goes out we i always put notes on um about about what we're talking about but also it will refer people to where they can find you and radical recruits so that that info will all be out there but is there any kind of final point you want to make and don't worry if there isn't yeah i mean i think um if you're a job seeker or you're in a this is this is predominantly your audience, right? Yes, yeah. Would, yeah. Um, my my call to action and my messaging of encouragement would be stop settling for second best, and and really sort of raise the bar and aspire, um, because life is fucking long if you're doing something you don't love doing. Oh, I know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, go and go and grab every opportunity and um make the most of it and believe in yourself and if if there are any sort of businesses looking or listening rather to this um time to act is now yeah you know, this yeah. um yeah. rhetoric is it's just hot air if you don't translate what you're saying into meaningful action so yeah. go and do that please for the sake of humanity yeah yeah brilliant okay well fantastic that's a really good note to finish on so huge thank you for your time um and hopefully we'll keep in touch and um yeah talk to you again Thank you very much for having me. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to Empowering Agency Workers, hosted by Julia Kermode. For more information on today's discussion, please visit iwork.co.uk, where you can also join our growing community. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if you did, then we would love you to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. We'll be back at the same time next week.